0: hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the equalizer podcast i am your host claire watkins joined this week by andre carlisle how's it going andre
1: going well uh doing okay how about you
0: i'm good i'm good yeah we're uh Felt like there was some some NWSL clarity this weekend. A little bit of an odd schedule. There was a game midweek, and then those teams didn't play over the weekend. It was a little bit stretched out, but that gave I felt like it gave me a chance to sort of look and, and consider a couple individual matches, which I think is nice, especially when we sort of had this uh, huge overwhelming amount of soccer maybe a couple weeks ago. Um, so I think we're just gonna talk. We're just gonna talk through a couple individual games, I think, and, and look at the look at the standings. We saw maybe a confirming of some of the trends that the last time we spoke, we kind of saw happening. I remember, I think the last time we talked, I said, is it inevitable that the Thorns will take over in the shield race? And you said, yes, and there they are. So maybe this is where we should start. So Portland gets the win on Wednesday against the Washington Spirit, two to one. And with San Diego's later loss to um, Orlando, this puts portland alone at the top. Now it's still very tight. It's still just I think hold on let me look at the standings. It is still yes, yeah, still just a 3-point three 3-point three difference between the two teams. And in fact, what we're looking at here is we have the dash have overtaken San Diego as well on goal differential. San Diego is now in third. We actually have three teams. We'll get to these teams, but we have three teams at 25, that's Kansas City, Houston Dash, and San Diego. But, but let's let's start with Portland. Um, we know Sophia Smith is amazing, right? She doesn't get on the score sheet on this one. And that may be – we know also that the Spirit have, have struggled this year, so that's a, a caveat as well. But it feels like with Portland, they have other weapons as well, even when Sophia Smith doesn't hit the back of the net. You know, she has the ability – to be active while still not scoring. And I want actually maybe to start with, I know that that you've, you've talked about this in other spaces, Portland's midfield. It seems like that is starting to really gel in a way that other teams are, are struggling with. So maybe let's start there. Tell me what you've seen from Portland's midfield and how they're contributing, you think, to, uh, to these results.
1: Yeah, Portland's actually a very interesting case, right? Because they kind of, at least in the past few weeks, have changed their formation. You know, they were doing a three at the back situation, and now they're doing four. It's almost like a 4-1-4-1 is kind of what most places like FB Ref are calling it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really think it's because they kind of have wingers who aren't really wingers, so they're more like midfielders, but it's really helping them be able to put a lot of pressure on teams um, from all all the way across the pitch, from the middle of the pitch to to um, to the wings. And I think a big part of that has been Sam Coffey just controlling the ball, you know, protecting that back line. And then, of course, you've got Christine Sinclair, which I think if you talk about somebody like who has been a great player, who's shifting into a different kind of role. I know we've talked about that before, you know, from being like that top-tier striker or whatever to now dropping into midfield and facilitating from a little deeper. is really, really good. And you put Rocky Rodriguez in there, you have a problem. And then you add Hina Seguida on one side, you ask me Ryan maybe on another side, and you have a whole lot of problems. So, yeah, I think they, it really starts from, like, that central core being so good. But, yeah, I mean, I just the, the talent on this team frustrates me. <laughs> it's so good. And right. uh, they're such a deep team. And, they can, and with uh, Rianne Wilkinson, they, she's shown that she can also make them quite versatile.
0: Yeah, I think perhaps this is a good example of that too, right? Because it's, I'd even forgotten about this, right? Sophia Smith actually doesn't play in this game because she yep. she had like some some tightness that they didn't want to mess with um, exactly. on, yes, on Seager Field, as we all know, our favorite place to play soccer. But yeah, I mean, you look at the starting 11, Marissa Everett, you know, she was the the starting central forward there. Um, they push Rocky Rodriguez forward a little bit. They let Sam Coffey sit in space in front of Becky Sauerbrunn and Kelly Hubley. You know, I think that that also uh, a low key thing, and this maybe goes back to the Parsons era as well, but they also really do have three good center backs in that. Emily Menges has been injured for a lot of this season, and they haven't really missed a beast without her, Mm -hmm. though they'll have more flexibility once she does return. Um, And so with those different players, right, you've got Yasmeen Ryan playing on the left, you've got Sink pushing forward, they were still able to create those chances and and control the game. Um, perhaps the only the only negative, and I'm not trying to harp on this too much, but I am interested in this. Is is that? And this is a more holistic question because we see a lot of talented goalkeepers in the league. Um, certainly, a lot of talented young goalkeepers in the league. And Bella Bixby is a player that has been in camp with the U.S. She is on that bubble. It seems like though she's still working through some of the factors of of being a starter for the Thorns. Maybe I'm overreacting though. Maybe it was just a weird Sager moment. What do you think? Do you think that that Bella Bixby is still taking that step forward, or does it feel like sometimes she has trouble back there?
1: Yeah, I think. Uh, well, I think it's two two answers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the first one is it. That- Yes, that was an extremely strange. Yes. Uh, Segra moment. <laughs> just, just you the,
0: It's one. I mean, any goalkeeper, you very rarely have a, a keeper own goal. That's just unfortunate. Yeah. And <laughs> Segra is an odd field. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was very, very strange. I didn't even know what happened. They showed the replay and I was like, okay, so whose goal is that? Actually, I actually thought she had like, tossed the ball out there to try to avoid doing that yeah but apparently that didn't happen or maybe she knew she didn't make it and just tossed it out there <laughs> kind of lazily but I, I I don't know I kind of look at and look at Bella Bixby and I still think she does a good job she's very solid shot stopper I do think there's some work to be done in like build up play and things like that but you kind of expect it from a goalkeeper who is well I was gonna say she's young she's 26. Um, so not, not like old or anything, but you know, to, to that point where she
0: only became the starter relatively recently.
1: E- yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the thing. So I, I think she's still a very strong goalkeeper. I just think like that, whatever happened there was strange. Yes. That's, <laughs> I don't expect to right. see that ever again.
0: Yes. I think, I think that that, yes, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I I find that stuff fascinating. I think that the goalkeeper position is one that, I, I will be honest, I don't know enough about the mechanics to be able to speak like an expert about... I mean, I, obviously, I'm, I'm familiar with with motion, footwork, distribution, shot stopping, all of those things. But the day-to-day, the things that keepers work on, the mental aspect, I think that you do have some highs and lows. And we've seen that across the board with a lot of different players. Um, and sometimes they have great runs, and sometimes they have a little bit wobblier ones. Um, so maybe to, to wrap things up on... On Portland, briefly, they get the win over Washington. Again, you know, maybe not one of the other top performing teams in the league this year, but the team that they roll out, players they do have, players they don't have, they they make it work, they get through the game. Rian Wilkinson seems very comfortable with the roster that she has, which I wasn't sure. You never know when you have a brand new coach come in and that roster was mostly brought in you know there have been a couple couple moves but a lot of this is uh inherited right an inherited roster and it's really working right we got Sam Coffey playing really well the young players who probably didn't even have a ton of NWSL tape coming in and doing quite well Um, the players that that Wilkinson you know got to know a little bit better and the ones that she knew really knows really well they're only three points up do you think they're giving it up this is like the the (laughs) sequel to my last question the last time we talked
1: uh, no, I don't. Think
0: are we that. getting, are we getting Houston dash NWSL shield winners?
1: <laughs> I, you know what, as much as I would love to see a God mode, Ebony Salmon for the rest of the season yeah. and just like pile on the goals, get in a conversation for the golden boot. Like I'd love to see all of that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Portland's just, just steady, just a really steady team. They don't really have many weaknesses. They kind of found in, in Sam coffee, kind of what they need to kind of yeah. help control games and allow that attacking talent and some of the other talent across the width of the pitch to be able to do what they do. And then you can bring on players at the end of the games like Morgan Weaver, who's just going to, you know, just pure energy. I mean, like pure energy. And when she came on as a spirit fan, I was like, oh, no, yes, <laughs> no. this is this is ungood. Uh, but yeah, I, I I think it's Portland's and actually to go back to Bella Bixby, because while you were talking, I wanted to look up the stats because I did this earlier in the season and I wanted to see how they updated. Mm hmm. Um, she is third in save percentage and yes. it looks like goals against per 90. She is also third. So, um, hasn't faced a ton of shots. Katie Lund has faced the most shots in the yeah, league. Yeah, I know she,
0: all. that's a, <laughs> Katie Lund is, is having like a, uh, what's like a, a, an Alyssa Nair kind of, a, of a like unreal. a Boston breakers situation. Yeah.
1: Unreal. Yeah. I to, that many shots, but yeah. So I, yeah, still in terms of shot stopping, that kind of goes to back up the point that we both said, like shot yeah. stopping is still good there may be some moments where you can rattle her, um, but I, it's not, it's not glaring, but yeah, yeah, same with Portland overall, same way. Uh, It's going to take a lot to knock them off.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that we were worried at the beginning of the season that Portland would be a little bit boring. And yeah, I think the what we're at is maybe a good balance where they have these basic principles that maybe themselves are a little pragmatic, but they also, when they do have, you know, Smith on the pitch, or, or a number of their other attacking, or like Hina Sagita has been really fun to watch. Yeah, um, they do nice. have some of the fireworks every once in a while. And so I think it's that mix that is frequently very much rewarded in in the league, for sure.
1: Yeah, I know Portland fans were mad at me when I called their their team boring earlier in the season. I was like, <laughs> I, wanna, I want that goal scoring back. But it was yeah. just like, Wilkinson was like, give me time to build a foundation, and then I'll yeah. let the players go off, and it's working perfectly now. So I got nothing to say. I'll shut up.
0: Yeah. I mean, and I also think that this will be a theme, I think a little bit with some of these teams is a lot of teams have had to rotate. It's been a really busy summer. Um, and they're still progressively, I think getting stronger despite the rotation, which not every team has done a great job with. So again, it's just, uh, the depth, the, the quality from the back, especially developing play, pushing the ball forward and, and just, you know, straight up finishing, which some teams are struggling with right now. Um, I, yeah, I like the Thorns chances. I think that this was something that we saw coming, but it, you know, you want to mark the moment it really happens. So let's move on to, you know, Houston and and Louisville play to a nil, nil draw. Houston really should have gotten more than a point out of that one. They were a little bit wasteful. They just could not find the back of the net. Louisville has been doing interesting things with their um, formation, but, Mostly to close gaps and to fix holes, which I think is maybe a good place to start. But you still just look at that roster and you go, there are good pieces, but they're just not all coming together. And they have some glaring issues in particular parts of the field that other teams are identifying and exploiting. So I'm going to leave that one, I'm gonna leave this match. Not much to say about it other than that. Let's move on to the the real blockbuster of the weekend which was Kansas City's 4-3 win over North Carolina. So North Carolina has scored, I think, 10 goals in the last three games. And they have won none of them. (laughs) You got to laugh to keep from crying. Um, Kudos to Kansas City. I think that one... I was very impressed even just from the mentality aspect of them. They go down, they equalize, they go down, they equalize. We saw that team kind of fold at, in adverse, adversity sometimes last year. Did not see that. Um, let's look at both both teams, though, and let's actually start with North Carolina maybe because just their game was so dramatic. They, they get the goal. You know, Diana Ordonez, she gets a tap in in the 17th minute. And you think maybe this is the one, this is the game. Caroline's back, Dabinia's back. They're going to be able to pull this off. They look amazing sometimes going forward, but they almost immediately equalize every single time. So I'm going to ask you to to diagnose this, and I know it's a hard thing to diagnose because if they knew, it wouldn't be happening. But is it just, do you think, a mix of players playing below their level in the back is it a spacing issue? Is it that they're too high throttle and the the positive motion that creates their goals is actually too much. They're leaving too much space. What do you think, Andre? What is it that is ailing North Carolina so badly in the back?
1: So I think it's two things. The first is it kind of the last thing that you said, I think is a thing. They, go, they push forward a lot and they yeah. put a lot of players forward. So normally it works out quite well, but when it doesn't, there's a whole lot of space to attack. And and teams know that and they kind of wait for those opportunities. And one of the worst teams, by the way, to play when that happens is Kansas yeah. City. Yes. That's what they wait for. Yes. And so it was kind of like exactly as as Kansas City planned. Okay, you scored in the 17th, we'll score in the 20th. You scored in the 36th, we'll score in the 45th. You scored in the 56th, we'll score at the 60th minute mark. And yep. then they just from then on, they got a winner uh, late. So it was like, Worked out, I don't think they had it planned to be 4-3, but in terms of the way that it went, you know, okay, fine, they're going to give us this space, we're not going to be worried if they score. Um, The other thing is, I kind of talked with uh, Chris Ward a little bit, the Spirit head coach, of the Spirit are having a similar problem, Mm -hmm. is when they score, or when you you score and get a lead, it seems to be like there's something happening in the players that is almost like, oh no, you know, there's Mm -hmm. a tense, there's something that makes them tense. Or they're thinking about all these other issues or trying a bit too hard. And sometimes you can see a player kind of steps out of formation or does something and then gets beat or is out of position or something like that. And it just seems like North Carolina might be having a similar problem because it's, it's almost inexplicable. I mean, they have a good defense. We've When watching their defense, especially their their central defensive pairing, has been one of the best in the league. I mean, all yeah. last season, they only gave up 23 goals. They're right. already at 26. I mean, it is absolutely kind of wild to see what has been going on with them. And it's, I think a lot of it has to be psychological. There are some tactical things. Like I do think finding another way to play, like Sean Nehouse needs to be able to go, pull the team back and say, okay, we need to be a little bit more reserved now, especially after you score, Mm -hmm. frustrate the other team for 10 or 15 minutes and then attack. But when you keep going, then teams are really looking, looking to respond and you know what what do they always say in in, in this sport right the most dangerous lead is 2-0 right. the most dangerous lead for for North Carolina is any so right it's yes been, it's been problematic and i it's, it's also a hard thing to fix at this point in the season which is also a problem
0: yeah i think i i 100% agree with all of that and i think that right you look at Sometimes a, a useful stat is simply just the timestamps of when goals occur. Uh, and I think that, that that is an important stat for, for North Carolina specifically. Um, I also think maybe one other area of the pitch that just hasn't been quite right for them Is that dual six? I I think that there's a lot of pressure placed on, on the back line. And I know that Casey Murphy is not having her best season. Um, And and I think that we're seeing the back line struggle with the waves of pressure that they're getting, but it does feel like that North Carolina used to, they used to move quickly. They used to move the ball quickly. They would have these waves of pressure, but they were controlling the midfield at the same time. And, I don't think that part is necessarily happening. You know, obviously Dabinia is going to push forward. Brianna Pinto is better pushing forward. So you leave Denise O'Sullivan and, and some uh, A player that has slotted into that other role. And it just feels like the connectivity there in that part of the spine just is not there when they need them. And that is also causing pressure on the back line that the back line is struggling to handle. Um, switching over to Kansas City. I you know I just kind of want to you know give kudos to the team, give them their flowers, just kind of talk about the turnaround that that they've had. And I know you wrote about this this week or, or last week um, about how it f- it felt like at the beginning of the season that they were missing some players, right? Some some big deal players. In the Challenge Cup, they developed this ethos of sort of handling pressure, quick counter score goals, win games. Mm-hmm. They've only done that more. So I think once they've gotten CC Kaiser on the field, yeah. I think Kristen Hamilton is developing into a real leader in that front line. This is very impressive. And then you also have, and this is perhaps the most impressive to me, a not new player from back when they were really struggling. Lola Bonta is having an incredible season
1: yeah.
0: uh, alongside Desiree Scott when she came back from, from Canada. So Tell me, I mean, I think you can talk about mentality. it's important but sometimes overrated. There's that element, but what do you see from the team on the pitch that just feels a little bit different, especially in this kind of a game?
1: yeah, I think i and its it is interesting because I think they're the thing last season you know they they didn't. I think the big thing was like the question was, is it the coach? Is it the players? Do they not? Do they need more talent or whatever? And they changed the coach and yep. it took them a little while to kind of find and settle into an identity that worked, especially because they they probably thought they were going to have Sam Mewis and Lynn Williams who are going to be their biggest like signings. Right. And if they had them, you were thinking, OK, this is absolutely a playoff team. They haven't had them. I, I Lynn played a half hour yeah like a half hour and I think yeah. same thing with Sam Mewis before they were like all right done for the season yeah uh, a couple of weeks ago so like it's awesome to me because you can kind of see like the players have built have bought into what they're trying to do mm-hmm. playing a lot without a, without the ball but when they get it they are fun mm-hmm. they go forward a lot like I was gonna actually ask Flo it's like forward passing numbers are outrageous she wins the ball and immediately looks up and is yep. like I don't care if you're you know, 10 yards in front of me or 50, yep. I'm booting the ball to you, go score a goal. And um, I think LaBonta has a lot of the same mentality and it really just helps them win the ball and then go quickly. And it's been really good, but you also like look at the defense and Kristen Edmonds, Liz mm-hmm. Ball. I think it had, had those two have had very good uh, seasons in the back. AD yep. French has been amazing. Yes. Yep. So mm-hmm. so like they have talent and they did need a piece like CC C. Kaiser to really help push them along. But yeah, this team has been very, very fun to watch. And I do think it's like a combination of them believing in the talent that they had, uh, being together like that core group. Um, We know Des Scott is good. We know Lola Bonta, you know, those are players that can be productive players in this league. Um, But we're seeing it on a different level now. And and I think a lot of that is coaching as well, putting them in a system that takes advantage of their of their strengths. And it's been really, really awesome to see.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think. When you look at a mentality shift, I do think that bringing in AD France was a huge part of that. And even when you look at the unbeaten run that they went on even last year to close out the season at home, I think it was they had a home streak of I forget what it was exactly. But she isn't she's not a raw, raw kind of a player, but she is a very important leader and was a very important leader in Portland as well. And I think she brought a very particular kind of intensity and focus to this Kansas city team. And I think that's been huge in addition to just being excellent. Um, All right. Next question about Kansas city. They are playing to their potential. They've got a number of good quality, young players. I know the timing is weird, but Haley Mace, man, man, she got. She's got to get back in camp, right? <laughs> she's a yeah. Swiss Army knife. She can play anywhere, you know.
1: Yeah, I was going to say if if versatility is something that is is like lauded in in U.S. Women's National Team camp, you kind of like she's kind of a no brainer because right. it's almost like right. it's almost hard to tell what she what her job is, <laughs> you know, game to game. I know. But it's like go do it. <laughs> yeah. She's like, all right, I got it.
0: Just like go be good, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> She's but almost yeah. too versatile for her own
1: good. Uh, right? Because at first it, was, it almost seemed like initially they had a hard time figuring out where to put her. And this is kind of what I mean by, by the coaching. It seems like the coaching is really molding to the players mm-hmm. because as much as a coach probably wants that control and rigidity and being able to understand like, hey, okay, this is a solid – everybody has their one set of responsibilities. It hasn't quite been like that for now. Of course, some you can't do that across the pitch. But for a player like Mace, you absolutely can. And I think it's been awesome to see them kind of embrace that. Mm-hmm. And it's been really, really useful for them as well. So, yeah, I'm, bring her in. Bring her in. Please. I think so.
0: I, I think that maybe, yeah, my final thought on Kansas City is this isn't the game that they want to play every week, right? You know, you don't want to be giving up three goals despite the fact, you know, they should feel good about scoring four. But um, they – when you get into playoffs, you you they probably do still have some defensive things that they need to work on, though yeah. they're, they're kind of gamers. They're pretty good at, at dealing with game states that even aren't in their favor sometimes. But it does seem also like you talk about the coaching. It seems like there's a lot of trust in this yeah. team. The, the players are playing with a confidence of their their teammates trust each other and their coach trusts each other. And even if it goes all the way up to, to ownership, there's a, a big level of trust with this team. And I think that that is, is impressive as well. And I think that that's carrying them um, in a, in a pretty significant way. So we are going to take a quick break before we talk about some more, perhaps frustrating results for some teams though, (laughs) I guess. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk some, some teams felt a little bit better about it, but we've got some, some less exciting news probably after the break here. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Andre Carlisle. going to say the same thing I say every single week. Give us five stars. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It helps people find us. Huge for discovery on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and, and, you know, we're, we're out here trying to give good coverage of, of NWSL and get in-depth and talk tactics and all that sort of stuff. So give us a rating and a review. It helps us out a lot. So some teams got really frustrated this weekend. We saw San Diego really upset, right? There was a a red card given after the match was even over. Mm -hmm. Um, I know Casey Stoney got a yellow card in the middle of the match. Orlando has become very stuck in, which we know they can do. That's not necessarily new to the pride, but it's in a way that instead of, this this feels like it feels like false praise but i do mean it is last year it felt like they were doing a good job of mucking things up but they were still conceding whereas now it feels like they're mucking things up but it's even more hyper controlled than it was um than it was before so san diego maybe dealing with its first not first but we're starting to see the seams a little bit with, with San Diego and what they're able to accomplish. They're having some trouble scoring. Um, they're making a couple of mistakes in defense. We're seeing some of the overachieving, maybe come back down to earth a little bit. Um, that game. Did you think that was San Diego? Do they think they have a right to be aggrieved about the way that game was played or was it just a very NWSL game? What did you think? This
1: is, so wild to me because like I understand like and have have witnessed many poorly officiated NWSL games yeah there are lots of them to point to they have uh, many have happened this season I did not think that was one of them yeah it was a very strange to me to see the reactions I think the handball call was right I think Mm -hmm. there were some advantages played where you maybe could have pulled it back Right. The referee did not give a yellow card at all in the game, but fouls were twenty six fouls were called. They're split fifteen to eleven. Yeah. and I think that's I mean for a game that was intentionally physical, that's about what I expect. I do right. think you can maybe control some of that with a yellow card, but I didn't come away with that thinking like, oh, the ref was 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 really bad that match. And so to hear and see, particularly a post game red. Yeah, that like they were that upset about or felt that bad about that the that the game was officiated that poorly was a little strange to me. And I'm also it also seemed like mid game it was rattling them. Yeah, like, they were really mad about almost every call that went and it was just like at some point I just got to go. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, at some point you just had to and, keep playing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, but but even that, I mean. It is tough. Like, I, I will absolutely concede, like, when, a, when, a, when an official is having a, a poor game, right. it's really tough for players to focus. It's, it's really bad. You don't know where the lines are. I felt like I understood where the lines were. I don't feel like there was anything egregious that really took, you know, altered the game from an officiating standpoint. So I'm, I, yeah, I was really shocked by that and don't really get where they were coming from.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think obviously from a fan perspective, you can issue complaints, right? You can say Orlando wasn't really trying to play a good game. It wasn't a good soccer product. You know, this was all just sort of trying to get the result. Um, I think that there are those kinds of things you could say about the game. Um, I would say, and I've only seen San Diego play in person once, but they're also a pretty physical team. They give what they get. And so I'm always a little bit interested when you see a manager – or players get very focused on the officiating when it's not like they don't have the ability to match the physicality nor are they reluctant to do so. And then sometimes they're the person on the front foot doing that. Um, So I, I don't know. I think, I think obviously we know that the officiating could be better play some cards. Maybe it changes, changes the tenor of the game. But it also just became the game that was played and and Orlando won it, you know, and I think that that San Diego is, again, just going to have to kind of figure it out, those kinds of games, because this is what it means to try to compete in the NWSL. Uh, Orlando, I I find fascinating because, you know, we're probably not a playoff team, right? Though they're close at this moment, they're not too far off the pace, but they were in such a disaster mode just a month, a month and a half ago. And they've turned things around without changing that many things on the field. And that maybe is what impresses me the most. They've, they've made some slight roster, not roster changes, but some slight starting 11 changes. Um, you know, you've got Michaela Clough coming um, off of the bench now. They've had Darian Jenkins in and out. They're, they're kind of figuring out the best use for everybody. But I'm always impressed when a team is able to take the group that they have and organize that group and have them playing closer to their potential without having to blow everything up, which is perhaps a perfect segue to switching over to Gotham. Now, Gotham FC has had a wild week. So they lose two to nothing to Chicago last week. Midweek, they part ways with Scott Parkinson, uh, L. Averbush, has a press conference where she talks about building a winning culture, wanting to change things, but also not change things. I think there was sort of this tacit um, acknowledgement that this is the roster that they've constructed, and probably that's not going to change significantly until the end of the season. However, they're still talking about making a run to playoffs. Then they announced the same day that they've hired um, Hugh Menzies as the uh, interim Manager, he is the former manager of the Jamaica women's national team, and then they go to Seattle and they lose four to one, not without some positives. I think the goal that Taylor Smith scored was really, really nice. I'm a big Taylor Smith fan, but the defense, and these are players that we all have seen perform quite well. We saw some subbing at the beginning of the second half, which felt a little bit like a per, like performance subs. It wasn't mm-hmm. halftime subs. It was like right after. Um, w- is this a mess, Andre, or is it is it fixable? They're in this like really messy growing pain stage, but it doesn't necessarily seem like the mentality has shifted enough. But maybe they didn't have time. What do you
1: think? Yeah, I think it's hard to tell right now. I mean, I, I do think that, you know, their time needs to be given to kind of see what, what can happen, even though, you know, if they did hire Menzies as an interim coach. And mm-hmm. I don't know who's, if he's going to be, you know, uh, up for the full-time gig after the season. So there is an expectation that results do change or at least turn around a little bit um, with the with the limited number of games they have remaining. But I do think away at Seattle, at OL Rain is hard. Yes, <laughs> So especially like that. That's a tough one. That team knows how they want to play. And if they it's only a matter of whether they're going to get the ball in the back of the net. And they had a lot of opportunities to do so and did. Uh, So like, yeah, I'm not. I was trying to figure out the sub thing because I did think that was interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was like. New manager just wants to see all of the players, as many players as he can. Right. Uh, But then also, as you mentioned, I think they happened like five minutes after the start of the second half and it almost yeah. seemed like, okay, y'all didn't fix it. I'm yanking you. <laughs> like, I'm yeah, it seems job. a
0: little <laughs> bit like maybe there was a halftime talk and you wait to see the response and you don't see the response that you yeah. wanted.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I don't, I don't really, you know, it's it's going to be hard to tell for Gotham. I do feel bad for them. I mean, we do know they have a lot of talented players. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like, I know the defense is struggling and I know, you know, um, last season we talked a lot about the force field, which was really just a really good, the, the, the back, the back line plus Sheridan really communicated very well. Yes, And I think Sheridan used to like know exactly what, what type of shot she was going to be facing. And they're not having that same success with Harris or Betos back there. I do think Betos is better in terms of, being able to build up play. We saw her a couple times evade one fret on one player and particularly Heidemish. she kind of got, got juked a couple of times, mm-hmm. uh, which you kind of expect if you're going to close down a goalkeeper hard. Uh, but it's that calmness in the back that I think they had been missing, but they still have little pieces to fix the defense overall. And uh, when they're facing opposition, but man, I just look at that attack and I get so frustrated because it's like Taylor Smith, especially with Taylor Smith. Now you got Taylor Smith, got Mitch Purse, Ife, Anamanu can come on there and do some things. You think you have behind those? You got Christy Mewis who is very good at left foot delivery, um, b- very good vision on the pitch. Like I just am so like, what is going on with that group? Yeah, <laughs> I think score goals.
0: Yeah, the 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 red flag for me really is, you know, you you part ways with a coach who. I I mean, I'm not in the locker room, certainly seemed by the um, reaction to it that there was not a lot of um, animosity there between him and the players. It just wasn't working. Um, And so you don't know exactly if you're going to get a a new coach bump from that. You don't really know what the emotions are. Um, But the issue with with Gotham to me is yeah they have they have roster imbalances for sure right they they've never we've talked about this a million times right they're they miss uh Ali Long very much they yeah. have not been able to develop through you know develop the ball through the midfield they um are seeing perhaps a little bit of a a down year from a number of high performing players on the back line but what they have now should be enough yeah. and that's where i question the mentality at this moment which is Christy Mewis in a midfield should be enough to make something happen, right? And we're talking about the difference between like 0.08 XG for an entire game. You know, I'm not saying that she can go score a goal on her own, but something. Midge Purse has to be worth something. Um, when Evie Animanu came back on came on in the second half, I think that that um, helped them significantly. So I, that was a bright spot. You know, she she helped create that Smith goal. Um, And so then I say, okay, new coach, when do we see the mentality shift? Because like we said, like you want to look at teams like perhaps Orlando. I'm not sure Orlando has the talent that Gotham has, but look at what they're doing with it and the buy-in that they have on every line to, to grind results out. It seems like Gotham is not set to grind or to dominate. And as I, as we said, you know, the rain are, are are tough and they are playing very well right now. I think if there's any team that might be able to even catch Portland, I think they might be favorites to do so. But um, yeah, it's a little bit of a, it's a, I'm, I'm a little bit stumped and it seems like it's been like that all season. So maybe the last question about Gotham is, do you think based on what you heard from Averbush this week and what you heard from players this week, do you think they know what's wrong or do you think that they are still figuring it out?
1: I think, yeah, that's a good question because I do think a lot of the players are kind of shell shocked uh, quite a bit by what is going on the season that it's been. I mean, they have played some, you know, they, they brought in talent. Of course they lost a couple players as well. Um, you know, you mentioned Ali long as well. That's kind of a big one in the midfield. So like, yeah, I, I do think that it is difficult to, for them to kind of figure out what's going on. And then it's so late in the season. It's like, right. I hate to think that you would have this mindset, but, but I look, I'm I'm only thinking about that from myself. Like they know there, there's a chance mm-hmm. and a good chance, I suppose, that they're going to have a, a completely different coach. I mean, we know that they've had some instability in their front in the, in the coaching uh, position quite a bit right. um, throughout the course of sky blue and Gotham FC, you know, the yeah. entire thing they're, likely going to have a new one next season unless he was able to win out and whatever coaching search they conduct after the season. So, you know, it's almost like, okay, let's hit the reset button. <laughs> 2023 is kind of our year, but I would also feel like, I'm sure there are some on the team that are like, we can st- especially if you look at the table, there's a chance. They yeah. have enough games in hand. If they right. can figure some things out, there's a possibility, but I also am just like, so many things have been broken and weird. Right. Yeah, you might just want to be like, let's let's manage this, make sure it doesn't hit straight up <laughs> at a, catastrophic levels right. and get to the off season and then make moves. Cause I, I do think that there are a number of moves that could and need to be made to address some issues in the team, um, the way they're constructed and hopefully they are able to do that. But yeah, I such a weird case. I yeah. did not anticipate this coming into the season. No, though. you know the
0: fascinating <laughs> thing with Gotham too, looking at off season, right? If they are trying to figure that out with a commitment to not moving anybody right now. I admit I don't have off the top of my head. I don't know who's on a multi-year contract, but they have quite a few players who will be eligible for the first round of free agency. And so that's going to change some things. Yeah. Which is going to be fascinating as well. You, you just put this in the chat and I'm glad you did. Um, Speaking of the rain. Uh, we've spoken about how the rain have a lot of attacking talent. They're struggling to get all of them on the field. They're sort of figuring out the best way to utilize people. They actually just made a trade with the Orlando Pride um, to send Ali Watt to to Orlando, which I would say savvy moon for Orlando. I think very highly of Ali Watt. Yeah. I don't fully understand why it never totally worked in Seattle, um, but that's an interesting move. I think you know again more. I. I'm interested in the rebuild that Orlando pride is in again, because it seemed like their reputation was not very good again, Mm -hmm. just even a couple, a couple months ago. So um, I wonder if some of the moves that they've made, right. Amanda Cromwell still suspended. They move some people who wanted to move. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're able to be like, no, this is for real this time. This is the real rebuild. And and we're on it. Um, Last question about this game weekend over the weekend. Um, The one other team that I'll, I'll be honest, you know, people, people think that I I'm I'm biased in in the positive sometimes, but I'm looking at Chicago. And I think if there's any team at this point that might slip out of playoff position, they've lost three out of their last four. They have another tough one in LA. Um, They don't really generate much attack. They have another mistake in the back and they're punished for it. They were giving up a lot of chances against Angel City. Um, you worried about Chicago or do you think they're going to be able to hold on? What do you think, Andre?
1: I'm worried about Chicago only from the standpoint of health. Yeah, they have right. had so many injuries and yeah. Aaron Wright limped off last game, you know, against Angel City. And that's just really bad as well. I mean, for her, but also the team, of course. So like, yeah, I'm, I just don't know if health is going to be a thing. I, I think I saw that Mal Pugh's knee was inflammation and they didn't feel like with travel and everything that you want to risk that. You want to make sure she stays as healthy as possible for the remainder of the season. And I appreciate, you know, taking that precaution, but yeah, I just, I'm concerned about it from that when they play and they have, you know, even a decent amount of health. Cause we know there are a lot of players who haven't played a lot this or at all this season, but when they play, they're very, very good. Mm-hmm. were a shock for like the first half, maybe close to right. three quarters of the season. And now it just seems like they're getting to a point where they can't overcome it because it's just too much, too many yeah. injuries. And I think that's going to be the thing that makes them slide, which is sad because I think the players who have been there have done an exceptional job and they don't right. really deserve to kind of be looked down upon if they happen to slip out of the, the playoff right. spot. I just think it's, it's a, it's so much to, to recover from at this. Time.
0: It's it agreed. It's tough. And I think that we've talked about like the, the final push or, or teams kind of figuring out their best starting 11 or, yeah. or figuring out the best way to sort of be on this upward trajectory by the end of the season. And it feels like Chicago is being held back by availability to be able to even do that. And I think that yeah. that's where they're beginning to struggle. And the thing that concerns me about the Red Stars is it's not so much that they've been unlucky. If you look at, I was just looking at their stats for for something else today. Their, their XG and their XGA differential is pretty much exactly their actual literal goal differential. Their scoring, I think they've scored and given up one more goal than they've projected to do so they're matching their stats. It's not that they're creating chances and they're not finishing. It's that they're no longer creating good chances and that's a little bit more concerning. Um, So we'll see. I I do think that obviously getting Pew back hopefully will help, but yeah, I, I would like to see them rewarded for overachieving, I think, but you know, sometimes it's just, as we know from a number of teams, Sometimes the, the circumstances are just not in your favor and it's just not your year. All right. So last question, Andre. I'm gonna do a little bit of rapid fire. Diana Ordonez, rookie of the year.
1: Ooh, <laughs> asked me that like two weeks ago or something. I'm I know. like, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, even as much as I've talked about Sam Coffey, Naomi Gurma, even Alex Loera out there with KC. I think Ordonia is breaking the record for, for rookies. It's pretty good, record. right? Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's quite good. What she yeah. got eight. I mean, the last uh, Ashley Hatch won the golden boot last year with 10. Yep. So we're not talking about a small number of goals for this league. Um, yep. Yeah. I, she's in the lead at the moment.
0: I think so. Um, golden boot. You think Sophia Smith's got it in her?
1: Oh, I think so. As long as she's healthy. I mean, I was, I was pleased to hear it was just tightness and yep. given what we know about Segra, the surface there and not risking her was a, probably a smart idea um but the form that she's been in is just outrageous so I would assume I, I actually thought and Morgan hit the post twice mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I actually thought like oh Morgan could pat it a little Coming bit back, because yeah, Sophia right. missed the game but um there's they're still level and Sophia Smith has more assists so she's on top yeah if it's just a straight goal for goal kind of uh, battle from the rest of the season I, I got my money on Sophia Smith the way she's playing
0: so Germa has receded a tiny bit, just sort of, and which makes sense. You're going to have ebbs and flows to a, to a rookie season, especially as, as a starting center back. I think that's a hard job. Yeah. Um, so she was probably in the defender of the year conversation uh, early on. Do you have a different player, a different defender whose work you've really liked so far this season? Oh, that one caught me off guard. I um <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't been, honestly, it has not been a very great year defensively. So it's like, it's hard. to.
1: Hard yeah. To, uh, I, I was going to say that is the hard part because we are, we're, we're not seeing we're a, a lot of terrific, goals. Yeah. yeah. We're not seeing a ton of terrific defensive performances. I mean, I mean, honestly, I might look to KC and Kristen yeah. Edmonds. I think she's yeah. playing very, very well um, in the back. Uh, I know she had an injury issues and missed a game. I think it was just one game though. Um so yeah, I don't, mm, that is a tough one. Defender of the year is going to be You know, be my, my <laughs> dark
0: horse for the shortlist is actually Kelly Hubley. I think if you yeah. think
1: about just some of the
0: steadiness and she's been there really consistently for Portland this season. So I think that, uh, that's maybe my dark horse. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm confident enough to, to say who I even think <laughs> defender of the year is, but like, if you're yeah. putting the nominees together, she's one, um, she's one for me. I
1: know and- I voted her a couple times for like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, quite a few times for defender of the so she, she does definitely gets up there, but yeah, I think you're right. It's also like, it's, it's been tough this year. Nobody's it, standing out. Nobody's so super think, standing right. out. Right. It's I think like Vanessa be- Jill at Angel City was doing great, but she's missing time. I know. Great, time. Yeah, so I know. I mean,
0: yeah. Well, Megan Reed too. Maybe she's a short list. You know, I think yeah. that. The rain was very strong in in defense early on, but again, just prone to slight mistakes. Yeah. But but you have to grade on a curve if everybody's right. struggling with that, right?
1: right. That's
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure it out in the future. All right, last one. Ad French goalkeeper of the year, is she yours?
1: Her, her Lund. I mean, if Lund keeps, yeah, herself, Lund, Lund is different. really turning it
0: on. Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah, but I think 80 French, I think. I think the what you talked about earlier, the intangible aspect mm-hmm. of it has been so big for Kansas City and the fact that they don't let a lot through, but when they do, they can really rely on her has been mm-hmm. very, very helpful in them being able to accrue a number of points that they've accrued so far through the season. So um, they make the playoffs and right now they're fourth. If they stay fourth or above, I think you got to go eighty. Yeah, I
0: agree. I think the thing that Lund is more of like your classic goalkeeper of the year winner, which is that she faces a lot of shots and right. does a nice job under attack. Yeah. Um, I think 80 French, I think it, it's a little bit more nuanced in that Casey is able to push forward because they trust her so much. There are, mm-hmm. there are gaps that they trust her to, to fill. And yeah, I just think um, it, it's always a philosophical thing, right? It's like, is it the yeah. goalkeeper of the team that's struggling the most in defense or is it the goalkeeper <laughs> that is helping the defense um, uh, uh, progress as well. You know, Jeff, Jeff said Kaelin Sheridan. I think she's on the short list too. I think that yeah. she's one that she's proven her consistency in a new team this season. Um, well, yeah. So there you have it. I think I, I mostly agree. I think we're starting to see, we're seeing some players, some ups and downs. I think this is the time of year where that starts to happen, but um, been, been very impressed. I think probably also, this is also a wild one, but talk about MVP shortlist. Can you, can you, all right, here's the true last question. Can you be an MVP candidate if you join a team halfway through the season? Ebony Salmon, can you be an MVP (laughs) candidate?
1: You know, she's very
0: important to the team she plays for now, you know. Exactly.
1: She's extremely important at the moment. I mean, if she, she keeps up the scoring rate she's been on, which is just be outrageous if she does, but I, I would not put it past her because what we've already seen is outrageous. Yeah. Um, you do, but I think that the MVP discussion is actually kind of very fun to me. It might be the most fun one because you can look at Ebony Salmon, depending on what the performances look like. Obviously yeah. you got Sophia Smith, Lola Bonta. We talked about her yeah. earlier. Yeah. She's been exceptional for that. I think four goals, four assists has yeah. been a real leader on that team. So like, yeah, I, I, that's a fun one for me to think about, but also not ever put my leg on a player because I have no idea.
0: <laughs> I know, that's true. I mean, it's so, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Rorschach test in a way, anyway, because yeah. like, what do you think MVP means? Right. right yeah. Yeah. Right,
1: yeah. Yep. And that's exactly what I mean. <laughs> you could also take that measurement, right. And you kind of look at yeah. it and think about somebody like Kalen Sheridan, look at Gotham without her, and then look at how San Diego's going with her, and you're yeah. like, well, so yeah, yeah. it's, it's interesting. So but, um, but yeah, I, mm, that's going to be a very fun one uh, to watch. Yeah,
0: we'll figure the good news is that we have some time to to figure out how we
1: feel about it.
0: (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Andre, for joining me this week. I've been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer, extraordinaire Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor Blue Wire Podcast. We'll be back next week with more NWSL action. We'll see you guys next time.